We're in John chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 29. And we find Jesus, he's just fed the 5,000 men. And if you throw in the women and children, it might as many as 15,000. And he's done this from a young boy's small lunch of five little biscuits and two small fish. And he has multiplied this lunch, and he's done it in a non-attention-grabbing way, multiplying inconspicuously before the whole multitude, and no one questions where the fish have come from. The disciples, they're serving this multitude, and they're serving basket after basket of loaves and fishes. And Jesus has had the people sit down in groups of 50. Now, if you only count the men, that's over 100 groups that 12 disciples are feeding. And this feeding is a lengthy process. At our potlucks, and we had one last week, going through the line of food takes as much time to get through the line as it does to eat. Not to comment about you ladies who go before us men, but you are in the front of the line. <laughs> but the multitude, they eat. And they eat and to the point where they're glutted not filled, they have stuffed themselves. It's then that they realize the miracle of Jesus and they want to make him king. But Jesus, he will not allow the people to force him to be this providing king that they want. And they can't receive the king that Jesus is. How often mankind tries to force Jesus into their image or into some mold that they think Jesus should be. It goes on today. Not too long ago, we had a man come in here and to our church, and he talked to me afterwards. And he tried to convince me that Jesus always heals our illnesses. Well, I sort of questioned this man. And I pointed out the Apostle Paul who prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. And each time God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul was given grace to bear the sickness, but he was not given healing. So does God heal? A definite yes. Yes, he does. But does God always heal? Well, no, not really. God is sovereign, and he heals as he desires to heal. And many times we're we're unfaithful to even lift, lift up our prayer requests to our Lord. But our Lord heals as he sees fit. And if we're honest with ourselves and God, 
you realize you can't force God to heal you. Sorry, that's the truth. <laughs> so Jesus, he will not be the king that this multitude wants him to be. And he will not do the miracles that they want to see. Again, this just points out that God is sovereign. And here's a novel idea. Why not allow God to be God and approach him as God, not as some servant of mine, not me praying some scripture based on out of context that he always heals or something. Let God be God. He is a good God. We're comforted by the fact that when we pray, our Lord knows our needs before we ask. So why do we pray? Well, we pray to communicate with him. But we also know that Jesus is full of compassion and he's full of love. And come to him based upon his mercy and grace. Amen. Amen. So let's read to this morning's text, John six fifteen through 21. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountains by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, went over to the sea towards Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus did not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately, immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. We find that Jesus, after he's fed the 5,000, them wanting to make him king, he gets alone, goes off into a secluded place by himself. I enjoy my alone time. Just me and my cows. I got, I got 10 of them. And I will go out on the back pasture and just right in there in my little SUV, simply to be alone and in solitude. Even in cold weather, I'll do this. And it's cold today. Did we get snow or not? Was there snow flurries today? Anyway. <laughs> but Jesus finds time to fellowship with the Father. Jesus' disciples, he has sent them down to the boat to cross over the sea towards Capernaum. Nightfall is upon the disciples, but still there's no Jesus with them. A great wind comes up, up blowing down on the lake as the disciples are laboring, rowing their little boat against the wind and the waves. They're straining, they're rowing. And then this man comes walking to them on the sea. 
What goes through their mind? Is this a ghost? What is coming towards us walking on the sea? And they are afraid. They've been at the oars. They've been rowing for probably six, maybe eight hours. The little boat being tossed about by the, by the waves and the wind is contrary to them. And here comes Jesus. And it's not a calm sea. And he's stepping over waves to get to them in their little boat. Did I say it was dark? It was dark. <laughs> the wind's howling. Waves are crashing. Now this man comes walking on the water, and he approaches the boat. No wonder that the disciples are afraid. They've never seen Jesus walk on the water. They've seen him do miracles, but uh, they're, they're afraid. And then Jesus calls out to them, It is I. The comforting voice of their master. Not one of the disciples asked, who did he say he was? They know the voice of Jesus. They know the voice of their shepherd. Jesus will speak to his sheep, and we, as believers, will know his voice. What a comfort it was for the disciples to hear the voice of Jesus. In my younger days as a Christian, I read the verse where it's, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And I had to consider, do I know the voice of Jesus? It's a good question. Mary, at the garden tomb after Jesus' resurrection, only has Jesus say to her, Mary. And she immediately knows that it's Jesus. He had a way of speaking where you knew who he was. And Mary instantly worships him. When somebody knocks on my door, or our door, I should say, we go, who is it? It's me. Me who? <laughs> Tell me who you are. <laughs> the disciples, they're afraid. And they're in this little boat. And they have their fears relieved by a simple, it is I. It wasn't, hey boys, get a grip on yourselves. Don't be afraid. It is I. No, he simply said, it is I. And upon hearing Jesus' voice, they receive him. They welcome him into the boat. And don't miss this. And instantly, the boat is transported to the shore of Capernaum. They've been roaring, rowing probably six to eight hours. And now Jesus gets in the boat and they're instantly at Capernaum. Jesus delivers them to the shore. And we see that Jesus overcomes the laws of physics and nature that he created. First, he comes to the disciples walking on the water. 
And this scares the willikers out of the disciples. And then they're instantly transported to the shore. And it's sort of, you ever watch Star Trek? That kind of transporting, you know, instant. They're there. Now, I'm guilty of watching science programs on TV. And when they begin to talk about light and how it travels 186,000 miles a second, and that our Milky Way galaxy is 100 million light years in diameter, you can't even phantom those kind of numbers. But uh, I heard an explanation of the speed of light, and I'm going to share that with you. Want to hear it? Yeah, you want to hear it. If you were standing, say, on the highest mountain in the world, Everest, and you shot a bullet out traveling at the speed of light, it would hit you four times before you could fall to the ground. It would circle the earth four times before you could fall down. That's fast. But anyway, that was a useless fact. Anyway, <laughs> consider how Jesus instantly moved this materialistic, solid little boat and the disciples across the lake. Adam, the highest creation of God, was created fully mature. There was no growing. He was grown. There was no learning. He knew automatically. Created with intelligence. Instantly a full-grown, mature adult. And when our Lord speaks the worlds into existence, there they were in place instantly along with their orbits and along with their lights having already traveled, my beliefs. At the command of Jesus, the disciples witnessed transportation, transformed from one spot to another with no time delay, instantly. No wormholes, I might add. But anyway, now let's pick up verses 22 through 29. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone. However... Other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread and after the Lord had given thanks. When the, uh, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, 
which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You want to know what you're supposed to do for the Lord? Believe. The crowds, they see the boat. And the disciples, but they don't see Jesus. So they're, they want to seek out Jesus. And they get some get into boats and some of the others walk around uh, the lake to Capernaum. And Jesus then, he answers the question on how he came to Capernaum. You seek me, not because of the signs I did, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus is telling them, you want more bread to eat. Are you hungry again, group? <laughs> and that's what, and you'd want to see a sideshow of miracles. And then Jesus speaks truth to them and to us. Do not labor for food which perishes, but be concerned and labor for everlasting life. Be concerned to labor for spiritual fulfillment, not the material things like bread that perishes. Now, Jesus knows we need to eat, but Jesus says to him, I, the Son of Man, will give you life. Notice Jesus doesn't use the term Messiah. He uses the term Son of Man. Jesus is trying to speak life to this multitude, but their concerns is where's my next meal coming from? And Jesus continues and he says, God the Father has set his seal upon me. Well, what was that seal? Well, remember back at Jesus' baptism? Uh, the dove descends upon him. And when Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was confirmation. That was the seal that Jesus put upon Jesus via my dove. Is it right? Via dove. <laughs> Supposedly why we have a dove at Calvary. The people, they understand what Jesus is saying. What shall we do, is their reply, that we may work the works of God. There it is. That's the question he wanted them to ask. That's the response Jesus wants. But they still have this desire for food to eat. But at least Jesus has their attention now. And that same question is for you and I. Set our hearts, set our minds on the eternal. Be concerned about what Jesus said 
is the works of God. A few months back, I had an unbeliever relative. Actually, it's Lori's relative. <laughs> Ask, why was I a pastor? I had to think about that for a moment. Why am I a pastor? The pay is not the reason. <laughs> and so I considered that a, a good, valid question. Why am I a pastor? My answer should have been that I should believe in him who God sent. That should have been my answer. I should be about preaching of life in Jesus. But my reply, it was close, but it wasn't that close. <laughs> and I said it's to attempt to cause people to consider the eternal. That was close, but it, it wasn't close enough. Eternity comes to each of us after, not after life, after we're born again. You enter into, you're all, if you're born again, are in your eternity right now. You're there. You've already entered your eternity with Christ. So what does eternity hold for man? Believe in Jesus, whom God the Father has sent, and receive everlasting life. So I need to adjust my answer to this relative my mission as a pastor is short and sweet. The work of God is what he wants from me, and he wants that from each and every one of us, and that work is to believe in him, Jesus, whom God the Father has sent to us, and receive eternal life. That seems entirely too Simple, doesn't it? Just believe. Just a going from I don't know to okay, I believe. So I have a basic mission in life, and so do you as believers. Simply believe in Jesus by an act of your free will and receive life. It's that simple. Believe. Trust in, rely upon Jesus, not just of simply acknowledging that he existed, but trust in him with your life. And you have life. Jesus comforted the disciples with simply, it is I. And I thought about that. It is I. And that's all they needed to hear. So if Jesus gives us nothing else, he has given us the truth of himself like he tried to give to this multitude that chased him down at Capernaum. Just believe, act of your will, and follow after him, and you will have eternal life. You don't join a church and then believe. Believing is a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship 
with Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. There will be people in the prayer area if you would like to have someone pray for you over, over any issue.